Okay. And actual <laughs> children. Okay. That one is totally like self-insert fanfic though. I don't know what you're talking about. Ooh, that's a great one to bring in. Oh, that, anyway, sorry. This topic is huge and I love it. Okay, it listen so though. I, do, I, I pulled one of those snog married bad cadavers out of Wait, the Wait, is Andy recording? Yes. <laughs> but I pulled one out of the jar before I came downstairs, and it says Beast, Aladdin, and Flynn Rider. Go. Wait, Flynn Rider? Beast, <gasps> Aladdin, and Flynn Rider. Go. Who's Flynn Rider? From Tangled. From Tangled! Okay, he can die. He can die right off, because I don't oh, get these shits about him. No, no, we don't kill Flynn Rider. We do many, many great things for Flynn Rider. I'm waiting for Jen to just like appear in his screen and just like. <laughs> so Beast is one of them? Yeah, Beast. We kill Beast. He should have died. Beast, Aladdin, I'm and saying, Flynn Rider. I'm going to marry Aladdin because I like yep, Aladdin the most. Marrying Aladdin. I'm going to marry Flynn Rider because you already knew that about me in the first place. That's so on brand. How could you marry him? How could I not? <laughs> I suppose that's true. That's true. He would make. I don't know. We all okay, Aladdin's that. gonna get the uh, get the snog. That's Aladdin's gonna get the snog, because really, first off, he might be bomb, right? He might be the bomb in in that department, but he's obviously faking it. But also, you know, he's he's not honest. He's not genuine. The Beast, he might be a jerk, but at least I know he's in it for the long haul. Excuse me, he locks you up in a tower. Wait, and wait, wait. Say that again, Anthony. He locks me up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. 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 Family I'm friendly. Snogging. You snog the beast. Snogging. You marry Flynn Rider, and I'm sorry, but you kill a lot. Animalistic animal lust that's going on with that so you're know, not him are you admitting that? not admitting oh, okay Karen, <laughs> <laughs> no. do you need to go home it's not <laughs> no it's illegal in some states you know for them to put beast wait but here's the question though is this beast as in <laughs> beauty and the beast or, or is this beast as in x-men beast because Beauty is literally Disney princesses. The theme. Oh, but Beast is a scientist, and he quotes Shakespeare. He refers to him as the Bard. It's clearly yeah, Disney so Foundation. It's clearly Disney. Disney. Oh, hey, guess what? Disney owns X Men. That doesn't make him a Disney. <laughs> hey. Oh, sorry. But the theme there is Disney princes. Uh, so. Fine. It's got to be Adam. Uh, sorry. So again, you kiss the beast, you marry Flynn Rider, you kill Aladdin. Problem solved, story over. <laughs> I think we're at like a In divide one. here, but that's fine. And what fan fiction does Aladdin die? None. Every single story I've ever written. Yeah. I think he actually does die in the original folk tale. Yes, oh. I think he does. But he's not really that good of a character. <laughs> and the originals, the originals are kind of like a. He's a terrible kid who gets lucky because his uncle happens to be a sorcerer, but also not his uncle. Oh my goodness! Anyway, fiction. That a subject? Is that like segueing into the beginning of the episode? This is what episode seven, I think we're at now. I think so. Yeah. 
Really? We've decided to talk about fan fiction, if you guys haven't picked up on a few of the hints we've dropped here and there. Um, you can love it. You can hate it. No, you can't. You can be neutral about it. You might not know what it is. Quick show of uh, figurative hands. Who here has written fan fiction? Anthony, have you? Uh, yes, that's how I started. Jen, I see the only one wavering a little bit, like kind of neutral, is the Lord Ish. Oh, don't worry, Aaron, I got you too. <laughs> you don't want to claim your former fan? Well, I, I, it was written when I was very young. That's so well. Like, yeah. oh, okay, well, then, then it does count. Listen, oh, good count. Count. He was like, he I have, with him. I have okay. evidence of my fan fiction that I wrote at 12. <laughs> he explained this to me earlier today. It, now, I'm going to have to go off on a limb and say that I align with Grant. Like, I've never really branched into, like, f- fan fiction, at least not organized. And, of course, I'm, when I'm a little kid, I, I don't think anyone had yet coined the term fanfic or fan fiction. Aaron. Oh, 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 I know the answer to this one. So, actually, the term fan fiction is coined in 1939. Really? The yeah. actual term. Oh, oh nice. nice. Fan fiction was coined in 1939. And it was coined because sci-fi writers were referring to amateur fiction writers as fanfic. And it was supposed to be a derogatory term towards fanfiction writers slash amateur people who weren't professional. Interesting. um, Comic book writers hadn't shown up yet. (laughs) Pretty much. I, I wrote notes. I wrote notes. I like this. You've come prepared. Thanks. I tried. And it didn't really, the modern version of fan fiction didn't really become a thing until like the 60s or 70s, but like fan fiction has been around since like. And what little known franchise was the thing that jump started the modern fan fiction craze? Star Trek! Yep. Fun fact. Yep, yep. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. So my favorite part is the fact that people just don't, authors don't like people writing fan fiction. <laughs> I had this conversation with Anthony earlier. The sound today. you are hearing is me astral projecting out. <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking to him earlier today, and I had a list of writers who hate writing fan fiction. Well, no, hate, hate writing fan, hate people writing fan fiction about yes. their stuff. Yes. And the list is quite small for right now because I only grabbed a small amount of people. There's Anne Rice is one of them. She's mm. big, she like notorious. Her fans. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't get that. She sued people. I know. Hardcore. Like, how can you? It, like, to me, it seems like a sign of success. Like that people like your work enough to. You know. Or Orson Scott Card, the guy who wrote Ender's Game, mm-hmm. thought very similarly to that. But then later on, he decided like writing fan fiction was okay because he got free advertisement from it. Isn't he kind of an a-hole in Yes. yes. <laughs> he literally wrote an entire blog, which he then turned into an essay that he sold about how my neighbors are gay, but I still have problems with the fact that they want to be married because their marriage is different from mine. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So, you know. Science fiction authors seem to be a kind of toss-up whether or not they're good people. You know, I personally stick to, like, pre-approved ones, like Marion Zimmer Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Who, by the way, wrote one of the most classic examples of fan fiction. Yes. Um, Yes. It, God, what is that big book called where it's all of the women from the Arthur? Is it Mists of Avalon? Mists of Avalon, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, it's basically... Okay, but is there not a functional difference between fan fiction and taking things that have either passed out of copyright or, like, getting hired to do extended work in a copyrighted universe and thinking of, like, Star Wars novels and things like that? Because I propose that there is. Do you? Expound on that. I mean, not... Like, on some level, yes. Like, you are taking things that somebody else created and you're doing your own thing with them. But, like, the thing about fan fiction is that it's freely posted to the internet for anybody to read and there are no rules here and you know you're doing it out of copyright for fun. And, like, getting hired to do the copyright work for something else or, like, taking a hundred-year-old myth and remixing it and doing your own thing with it, not quite the same as, like, writing Riverdale fan fiction the day after an episode airs. Yeah. <clears throat> What's the difference? You don't get paid to write the Riverdale fan fiction. Yeah, and frankly, sometimes I think it's more fun. Uh, that's too thin of a difference for me. Because how... Maybe it's too thin of a difference for me because when I was 12, I was convinced that once I got good enough at writing my fan fiction stories, I was going to get a call from George Lucas and he was going to ask me to write the Yoda series that no one seems to have written. Um, yeah. Even though I'm unaware of that exact trajectory happening yet, like, yes, there are plenty of people who that, have started in fan fiction, who have made their name, who have gone on to do, like, extended works in another universe. But it's not because they wrote Star Wars fan fiction when they were 12. No, I mean, I agree. Yeah. I also want to add to what you were starting to say about the Yoda um, series, that no one should write. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, what? What? Do you want to die? Did, did, did I stutter? <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, though, that Yoda's getting his, like, greenlit in the High Republic end of the Legends <clears throat> arena. And he's being written by a great writer at this point, so you know it'll be good. We really need do need to have a good Star Wars um, podcast, and we can continue some of the Facebook conversation you and I had yesterday, Anthony. Oh God! <laughs> okay, I'm excited for that. So we will have we will have to be restrained by our podcast mates. Yes, um, so we'll try, but like, there's not a lot of stopping you two sometimes. True. So, also, did you know that George R. R. George R. 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 George R. R. You can go R for twenty minutes, and it sounds okay. See, that's another one that's really strange to me. George R. R. Martin has no right because he literally said in a on a panel a few years ago, and he was with another person on this list of authors who despise his fan fiction. Um. He literally said that he took the War of the Roses, filed off the serial numbers, and that's where Westeros came from. And it's like, yeah, bro. Like, we all know that House Lancaster and House Lannister are the same thing. You just threw in, you know, a dragon or two and bingo. Like, you can't be against fan fiction. You wrote it. (laughs) I mean, there's also the fact that it was him and Diana Gabaldon who both hate when people write fan fiction of their stuff. <laughs> and Anthony's streaking is up because I showed him earlier, there's like a couple blog posts that they made where they are basically like vilifying people who write fan fiction, <laughs> basically equating those who write fan fiction of coming into my house 
uninvited, sleeping in my bed, and seducing my husband. That's literally what she says in this blog post. And she just, that's what she equates you writing fan fiction about her stuff with. You know, okay, that's an, that's a, a, a common argument and one with merit, but I, even some of the what? notes that... <laughs> merit? Merit according to whom is my question, but you know, I'll let you finish your thought if you want. I, I don't care if you argue against it and you have an, a good argument against it, but it still has merit. I mean, why write about someone else's character's worlds when you could be writing about your own? And furthermore, does fan fiction contribute to an arguably toxic entitled fan base? I'm going to kill you in your sleep. That's fine. The correct answer no. is no. Um, the way that I'll say it is, so there was a blo- another blog post, this is a Tumblr blog post from uh, Neil Gaiman. Oh, and they asked, <laughs> they asked him how he felt about people writing fan fiction of his stuff. And the thing that he really touched base on was the fact that he leaves a lot of stuff open in his worlds and he appreciates the fact that people see he's left this stuff open and they'll take that and they'll try to fill in the blanks with things that they think might be true to what the characters are like from how they've read the characters and interpreted them. That doesn't mean that it's completely canon, but in the overall scheme of things, he really appreciates the imagination and the ingenuity of these people turning around and writing about his characters. But you realize that Neil Gaiman is in a perfect position for that because yeah. he has built an entire career off of fan fiction. He's biggest selling anything is a fan fiction from a little known, like at the time, mm-hmm. um, comic series that like nobody had read. And when they approached him and said, you do good work from what we've seen from you, what do you want to do? And he's like, Sandman and bing, and, like it took off. Like, sure, he added like anything and everything that he wanted and created original characters and all of those things. But like, that's what working in comics is. <laughs> I really want to know what your working definition of fan fiction is, but also to go back to Andy's point of like, why would you not write original stuff? I don't want to. Sometimes you don't have original ideas. Sometimes you watch an episode of a show or you see a movie or you read a book. And like Aaron said, you go, hey, there is this hole here. Or hey, what if X had happened instead of Y? And you take it and you run with it and it's for fun. It's one thing that hasn't been commodified in this entire world and we should enjoy that. You know, really quick, before you think that's, I'm regurgitating many different arguments people have posed over the years regarding fan fiction. I mean, even what, we, what you're saying there, maybe you don't have your own original characters. It is still a valid form of writing practice and maybe not world building in the origin sense, but you're still world expanding if you write from that. Um, is it really any different? And I'm going to use comics as an example. And this is, this is more, I, I don't, playground talk, really. When you're getting into a fight with a friend at school, like who would win in a fight, the Incredible Hulk or Superman? And you, you start creating a story based on that. And 
it's not quite the same as writing a narrative to it, but um, I, I liken some fan fiction, particularly among, well, just in general, fan fiction, you want to expand a world and you want to kind of connect dots that you didn't otherwise connect. And I, I have nothing personally against it. I, I, I figured you were kind of just being incendiary for the point of being incendiary. I have met you. But, but it's, it's not even entirely being incendiary. It's, these are arguments, and even to some degree, they are valid arguments that, say, an author poses or a non-author poses. I, because if you're – I like the idea that you could write for an exercise. You could write to expand your own concept of what the world should be. But at the same time, why not? I mean, why not write your own world? I mean, is it more genuine or authentic if you were to create your own world? I think that what professional authors don't want to admit and what they don't want to say out loud because it undercuts everything that they've worked for years, sometimes decades to achieve, is that their very first writings in and of themselves, were fan fiction. They may not have sat there and said, oh, I'm going to make a fan fiction, but they read The Little Mermaid and said, I'm going to write that too, and did their own little version. Or, oh my God, I love stories with girls and horses, so I'm going to write my own story with a girl and a horse. It may not be set in a particular girl and horse universe that you've just read, or it might be, but the point is, is that most authors cut their teeth on stuff, especially if they're like, if they start when they're kids, they don't know what they're doing. So they use a framework from, they borrow it from someone else and they spend a long time copying and imitating the people that they love before they actually feel confident crafting their own, you know, unique universe. And then there's all those people who do retellings and reimaginings, which <laughs> it's, it's it's, I, I mean, technically, it's all covered by law anyways. It's so, like, it's just nuisance to me to be like, oh, I don't like when people, you know, try to steal my whatever, whatever. And it's like, girl, everything you put at Hogwarts came from Hans Christian Andersen and Brothers Grimm and English folklore. You literally just, like, and then you took some Latin words and threw them together and created Albus Dumbledore. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> don't, like, yeah. She actually doesn't mind fan fiction, though. No, I know. That's I was, I was, about. <laughs> First example. But, like, also, the, here's the thing, and I'm sorry to admit this, because on some level I do get why others say this, but, like, once you publish a book, it's not yours anymore. Oh, Books nice. belong to their readers. Thanks, John Green, for that quote that I definitely overuse 10,000% of the time. Like, yes, I get that, like, you don't want somebody else coming like, here, I'm publishing the next book in your series. Like, no, you're still working on it. Your story is your story, et cetera. Like, copyright and monetarily, there are different issues there. But, like, once you put things out into the world, people are going to take them and run with them. That's just, like, the nature of humans and creativity and stories. That's going to happen. If you don't want people touching your babies, don't publish a book. There's... Everyone should YouTube this at some point. YouTube China Mieville, Edinburgh. There's a two and a half hour conference in which he he's the keynote speaker and then everyone 
in the room gets to ask, you know, all of these questions. It's sort of like a debate hall in a way, but they're all professional writers um, from like around the world. And his entire argument initially is, why do we feel so strongly about being paid for our original work and no one else being paid for that same work? If someone was to take one of my books, remix it, they've done the work to remix it, should they not also get paid? It's not that big of a deal, guys, let it go. And the entire, like the room is so furious and it turns into this two and a half hour dialogue about the death of the novel. And he's like, wasn't my point. The point is people should be able to take your work and do what they want with it. And that means getting paid for all of the work you thought you were doing. Get over it. It's incendiary and it's kind of, you know, makes a lot of people angry and scared, but like, these are the truth. I think it's true. I mean, I think, I think, but also the great thing about fan fiction is that nobody's asking for that. No one's asking Nobody for really wants to get paid in the <laughs> first place. We but, just want to like take it and like rewrite something on it. Like with the remix culture, technically, anytime you write fan fiction and you transform it in a way or you remix it, which is what fan fiction really does, it actually then falls under Creative Commons license as soon as you do that, which therefore protects you as that writer from like getting in trouble, like if you just write it. But if you turn around and then you sell that fan fiction that you're like writing, shit's after. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> not, not that like not that way. But like let's say I write a Harry Potter fan fiction. This is not going to happen. I've never written a Harry Potter fan fiction, actually. Um, say uh, Draco Ginny. Kind no, of no, 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 no. So, like, let's say I write one and I transform it. It falls under Creative Commons. Yeah. Then, as long as I'm publishing it and I'm not selling it, that's fine. But as soon as I take that specific fan fiction, I don't change anything from that and I sell it with those specific characters, which I do not own, and I have dis- and I have claimed... In my disclaimer, I do not own them. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes an issue, and then copyright laws then turn around and take precedence, and that's when they can be sued. Fifty Shades of After, which is what you're talking <laughs> about over here. <laughs> the only reason those were able to be published, and we're going to like transfer topics over to those, I guess. Like those were able to be published because their editors found them, and they were able to transform their work and get rid of those characters specifically and were they though we, were they we know in our heart that we know which characters they are but like to the normal average reader who doesn't peruse the internet forums as much as we do like well here's the question does love interest in after cross dress wait does he do you expect to have read enough of after to answer that question <laughs> I can't I can't tell you the answer because I've actually never read after and I didn't even realize it was a fan fiction originally until someone mentioned it to me. Hi Jen. You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't know until you mentioned it. <laughs> yes, world, if you don't know what we're talking about, the book after like five books in a series, there's already two movies about it. The original person in that fan fiction when it was posted online was Harry Styles. <laughs> I'm so obsessed. 
basically after came about because she wrote a uh, had fanfic about um harry styles being a bad boy in college instead of being in a boy band and it just kind of took off from there yeah I'm trying to picture Styles as a bad boy and that doesn't work he doesn't he's so too so nice oh well all right well there goes my interest in that series <laughs> oh. i mean then there's I have a question, and this is not so much a question as an idea to share. What are some of the, obviously, than the Fifty Shades fanfic, um, what else is some really, what is some of the more famous fan fiction that the city of, okay. <laughs> is, wait, is that really yeah. explaining? It, orig- it originally started out as a Draco Ginny fan fiction. <laughs> Andy just astral projected. None of you can see this, but I'm kind of disgusted by the idea of those two. Yeah, she did a better job filing off the serial number on that one than uh, people did with Fifty Shades with After. That's true. She okay. did a lot more of an editing process and like a revamping that went into the Mortal Instruments series. Because if you don't know that going in, I don't. Think you'd figure it out? No, I. I no, now I that like it, like now that we know this, like when she describes her characters, like you can definitely see traces of the original two characters from the fan fiction in there when she describes them. But then you turn around and later on, that kind of whittles away because she. I think it was only like the first two. Yeah, I would say even original because it was even kind of intended to be a trilogy at first, and then they added the last three books for it to become that six book series. Yeah. I would even say maybe in the first two, maybe the first three at max, you see traces of it. By the time she has finished that series and then even gone into the spinoff series, I don't see that there anymore, personally. Yeah. Well, that's because she was able to then expand on her own universe she's really yeah like she's a really good world builder and i don't know if that was something that she learned from writing the draco jenny fanfic but she's a good enough world builder that when i found out that that was the jumping off point for the series i was very confused (laughs) it's like what oh okay so you know i mean 50 shades can does take the cake in terms of Easily identifiable characters, though. Oh, good lord, yes. You know, taking the cake in Fifty Shades should not be said in the same sentence. <laughs> so, for one, please note, I've never actually read maybe a series, series, but, um... <laughs> Have you seen the movies? No. So, the original fan fiction that it comes from, I have read. Um, I, Wait, I, what? I found it, like, ages ago. I have a PDF version if you want to. Anthony almost fell out of his chair that. I read it. Um, when you really look at the original versus what was published, there's not much difference. All that really changes is the characters' names. Oh, and uh, Bella's eye color. Huh? I have only read the first four <coughs> chapters of Fifty Shades of Grey after an assignment in college once literally because I read Twilight too many times as a teenager. When I was reading this, I'm like, oh, okay. Genuinely, the only difference here between names, obviously, is that Bella has brown eyes and Anna has blue eyes. Yeah, pretty much that's it. 
well, and then there's, you know, <laughs> the lack of the supernatural and the addition of. Oh, oh none of you haven't taken remix, you know, taken remove tropes as you need to. That doesn't make a difference. It's, it's like you never heard of the popularity of the high school AU. Well, and I love that. I love that the author, like, it's so funny. It's sad, actually, but the author had no idea what, like, erotica was. Yep. So she's literally writing this erotica series, and there's an interviewer who asked her, like, I think it's for ABC News or something. Don't ask me why I know this. But she's like, so did you, like, try any of the things before you wrote them into the books? And the author, like, giggled and was like, my husband was very happy for a while because anything that I needed to write about, we had to try. (laughs) I don't want to know that. I want to unlearn that. It's straying away from fanfic a little bit, but do you remember when Anne Rice wrote the Sleeping Beauty trilogy? Yep. Speaking of fan fiction. I'm trying to imagine Anne Rice experimenting with so many of the unique forms of entertainment within that series. Like, <laughs> admittedly, I was kind of like, whoa, whoa. Like, reading this as an 18-year-old, I, I don't know what. But, I mean, 20 years is, a, you know, hell of a growth. I've changed. I'm not as shocked by it as I once was. But still, being... Well, imagine how shocked her son was when he discovered, as he calls it, his mother's porn. <laughs> well, I'd rather discover my mother's porn than discovering her experimenting to know how to write it. <clears throat> Can we talk about anything else, please? <laughs> Staring back to fan fiction and people who hate it for Grant. Oh, give us fan fiction opinions. Uh, opinions? What do you yes. think about fan fiction? I, I, I think it's a really good way for uh, people to get into kind of creative pursuits. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I think we're, we're probably going to get into it more, but we all, in our, early on in our creative lives, we were inspired by other works or we, you know, specifically expanded upon other works, you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I see, I, I see, personally, I see it only as a good thing. And as far as the toxic fan bases go, I think that's its own. The toxic, that's its own the, the, to, the toxic people will be toxic no matter what kind of yeah. subculture they're in. But, <laughs> they don't need fan fiction for that. Yeah. They really don't. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm a fan. Yes. Do you like, so for the intellectuals who know like Harry Potter fan fiction very well, canon or fanon? I'm sorry, what? And really, I need specific examples before I can decide any one way or another. Because oh sometimes <laughs> what people decide to make fanon just irks me. Canon is what is considered... Um, well, yeah, it's like from the author. Like, that's from, from the author himself. Right. Going off of like, I guess the Game of Thrones type stuff. Because it's the easiest way that I can explain it. What he writes... And like what's in the show is considered canon, mm-hmm. but as soon as you turn around and you change that, if enough people get behind that like head canon, and head canon is like, I think the character would do this. Oh sure, yeah. In this type of situation, and enough people get behind it, that's what then becomes fanon. Canon. So my Jamie Tyrion Lannister. 
Yes. Entanglement, we'll call it. If I get enough people behind that, we could call that Game of Thrones fanon. Yeah, and then basically that would be that moment where it, <laughs> it's so demented. That's one of those weird, really weird moments where fan fiction and authors actually really do come to head because, like, sometimes there's like a really weird, like, fine line in between the two. Do you have an example? <clears throat> so, like, for example, like Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah, it's often really portrayed as. When you're reading Marauders, the Marauders, mm. so Harry's parents and his friends, and then Snape, there's often a very weird fine line between how he act, they act in canon versus how he acts in fan fiction. Because we love Snape. Depends, even, I love Snape personally, but like a lot of people vilify him like in fan fiction, sure. and they treat him as like one of those worst characters. Yeah, but I'm even thinking too, like when you picture the Marauders in your head, as I do, and we have like James, kind of the popular guy, and like Sirius, the rebel with the leather jacket and the motorbike and the long hair, and we've got Lupin in probably some kind of like elbow patched sweater. Yeah. How much of that is from the book, and how much of that is from everyone's like collective decision that like Sirius definitely had a motorbike at some point? Well, he did well, have a motorbike. Well, he did have a motorbike, yeah. but, but the whole well, that goes with it, though. Yeah. Right, because then he has to have a, a Then he has to have a jacket. Because, well, yeah, yeah, right, because why else would he have a motorbike? Come on. Like, and yes. so there's that fine line where, like, some people might not realize that one is fan and the other one's canon because they weave so well together that people turn around and go, oh, this is true of this series, and then they figure out, oh, it's actually not. This is just what I read in fan fiction all the time. Yeah. I feel like the way you see that most play out is, like, when an episode or something airs and the reaction online is like, that was so out of character for X person, and somebody has to stop and go, was it out of character, or have you just been reading too much fan fiction that portrays this person this way that you forgot that on the show they're actually the villain or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of, kind of unrelated. But I, I was going to ask if, like, there's any notable examples of like a specific, either, I don't know, just some element of fan fiction within a show or a series or anything that has been elevated to like actually be canon. Like, ooh, that, that like it, it became so well. I don't know, just kind of generally accepted. Among That's a good question. Bastille. Destiel? I mean... Destiel? Has it been, though? Destiel? Oh, Supernatural. Supernatural? Has it been, though? You can fight... Uh, in certain languages, yes. <laughs> I mean, because I know that, like, Castile coming out, that's confirmed, but Dean is still not. You haven't been keeping up with the saga because you're not quite as terminally online as Aaron and I are. No, I know. So, like, the thing you have to realize is the way that that show ended and the way that Death Steel became, like, it wasn't, it didn't become really a thing, but you, you <laughs> okay. the, the whole, like, confession section, you have to understand that that whole fan base for the longest time sat there, saw cast come in, immediately went, Dean and Cass are perfect for each other. And for like, I think this was like season three Cass comes in. I don't even remember. If somebody knows, they can email me and I can figure that out all by myself. 
But um, <laughs> they saw those two characters together. And so throughout this whole entire show, mm. this is, I guess, where the toxic fan base kind of comes in is they've been kind of picking at not only the writers of the show, but also the actual actors saying like, this needs to be canon, this needs to be canon, this needs to be canon. Only to then just get faded all the way into the very end where it finally does become canon and then everyone's like, really, that was the end of it? But then like... But you know, like, then you see something like what happened with Star Wars where, Mm -hmm. I remember, I saw The Force Awakens three times before I knew that Poe and Finn was a thing that people wanted. There, oh, were I people, know, right from the there were people who were saying, they're like, oh, no, as soon as they looked at each other, and I'm like, excuse me, how could you determine that from, they, they, they're not that good. Like, I mean, they're good actors, but like, come on, give me a break. And like, did you not see that part at the end where he had his jacket and he's like, you keep it. And he gave him a nice little like lip, he bit his lip and I'm like, no, who is paying attention to that? And as, okay, you clearly don't watch things with your shipper goggles on, but I'll let you finish your story. Google. I made the mistake of going to Google. Just look <laughs> how deep this went. Oh, the amount it's... of incredible fan art that I found a week yep. after this movie had come out was insane. And so, of course, then you spend the next like however many years waiting for them to do something that they probably never intended to do in the first place. And then they get like, to be clear, those movies are trash, but (laughs) that one element is not an element for which we can blame them because it's not, it's not one that they like, they didn't actually bait us. We baited ourselves because (laughs) because people were like, it's there. You, you've got to see it. Like people were literally giving me history of like posed bisexuality. And I'm like, since when is he bisexual? Well, he, you could just tell. And then there's that word toxicity where they, they don't follow through with that kind of fandom request, that fandom wish. Yeah. And there are people like base like an entire opinion on future films, which, yes, we are heavily biased, and I'd like to think we're objective, but no. But there are other people that base their entire regard of those trash films on one little <laughs> thing not coming to fruition, which... Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of glad it didn't because I, I like Finn so much more than I like Poe. But that's a whole nother. I'm Finn could do better. Finn could do better. <laughs> Some of this, though, not to, like I didn't see anything past the Force Awakens. So believe me when I say that I don't know You're how fortunate. this actually played out in the Star Wars movies. But in general, when I see this sort of argument about like why is everyone so upset? Set when like Jude A and Jude B don't get together when you know girl C is over here. How much of this though is like when you develop two characters for whatever reason, and it's almost always the two guy characters if you're watching a show with a mostly male writer's room. Mm. Of course, people are going to get kind of attached, like these two have the most development, they spend the most time together on screen. You get to see them growing and developing a relationship until they finally remember to throw girl C from the side actually into the relationship at the end of the show. So like, yeah, I'm sorry that you forgot that you had to write other characters and actually develop everyone to make a realistic, you know, girl boy relationship at the end of this. This is why everyone kind of thought you were baiting them. Cause if you give them any sort of like longing glance, kind of moment, emotional reaction, kind of moment, something that bonds them together. 
of course that gets interpreted romantically. We live in like a very romantically focused society. Well, when I remember, I was just watching the trailer today for um, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh. <laughs> First of all, oh, looks so good. I'm so but excited. I literally had to say to myself, this is just a bromance. This is just a bromance. Please be a bromance. Because the number of times you see just in that like minute and a half trailer of them doing standard couple things, like things that, that you would not normally like in real life say, oh, that's what couples do. But because it's a narrative, like there's a um, pretty cool anecdote in which um, the writer for the Harry Potter films, when they were gathering everybody together for the for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince for the read-through, he had written a line, Dumbledore is talking to Harry, and he says something like, oh, I remember a girl with dark raven hair, blah, blah, blah. And J.K. Rowling looked at the script and wrote like on her paper, Steve, he's gay, and shoved it up the table. <laughs> and, and he goes, oh. And like they had some back and forth about like why he shouldn't keep the line. And she's like, you have to understand that people have 2.5 seconds in which they're making a snap judgment about this character off of one line. People who've read the books will know that yeah. it's not a problem, but people who've never done that and are seeing this movie, they're gonna see a man talking about a woman to this teenager who's just finished flirting with a girl in a, ca in a like, yeah. cafe. They're gonna automatically assume something about Dumbledore that just isn't true. So they had to like cut the line because that's, that's what we do as audiences. I mean, you, you know, you stick two dudes in a scene together. Like Harry and Ron are like, if Hermione hadn't been there. Romance. Like, the whole time, Harry and Ron are perfectly like matched to yeah. be together. Yep. But that's just because they're friends. In real life, we know the differences. Actually, no, we don't. But <laughs> <laughs> we can um, pretend we do. In narrative, it's so much more tricky because, and especially the visual narrative, because you, I don't know, I'm sort of shooting it here. It makes sense. <laughs> My brain is making sense, but I can't explain it, but it makes sense. Anyway. I don't have anything else. That's all I know. <laughs> it's not my female Jedi longing for the beard of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Please! I need it. I need it. <laughs> I need everyone else's reaction. <laughs> In context, please. <laughs> oh, gosh. So there's a character in a pre-episode one Star Wars novel, um, which actually is really, really good. And she's a Jedi apprentice, and she goes on the hunt for Darth Maul because Darth Maul kills her master. Um, and it's kind of like basically her great trial or whatever. She's a great character, and she goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Maul, and she's just a Padawan learner. Um, it's great. And she doesn't have her master like with her that, at that point. So it's it's pretty pretty cool. But of course, yeah. you know because you've seen episode 1 like you know she has to die. She can't like escape that fight because it the novel has established Maul as like the hunter like once he gets that mm -hmm. like drive, he has to kill you. Um or else he's not complete. So she dies. 12-year-old me did not like this. I wanted her to be alive. <laughs> I also wanted to be her. And it's it's sort of briefly established that her and Obi-Wan are the same age and they came up together in the temple and you know they've they know each other. 
And Qui-Gon and her master have very similar sort of like ambiances. So I, of course, writing fan fiction thought, well, they would be in love. Like they, <laughs> they were raised like, to, of course they would be in love, especially all the more because they're not supposed to have attachment. If you stick a bunch of pre, like hormonal teenagers in a temple with magic powers, that doesn't stop them from wanting they to attend. Well, okay, that in the in the one they were ten, but I was twelve, so <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> anyway, I decided that I was going to send them the ten-year-old Padawan learners on a mission without their masters at the behest of Yoda, <laughs> and she confesses her love to Obi Wan, and like literally only half a page up like half a page before that she's thinking oh my gosh i do love him don't i and she goes to her master and says master i think i love obi-wan what should i do and he says you should tell him literally a paragraph later she says obi-wan i have a question for you do you love me and he goes i thought you'd never ask yes And then, of course, that's when the Black Sun Syndicate attacks them and they're almost killed. Or oh, is it the Pearl Harbor scene? At 10. Well, no, that's not quite the Pearl Harbor scene, but yes. That was where my brain was at 12. I want to read it. it she is, was looking for it earlier today. I have it. <laughs> I think we need to post that in like the liner notes of this episode. Is like, read Anthony's 12-year-old Star, Star Wars fan fiction. Actually, yeah. I would. That would be the best way to share it. I realize you didn't explain this book to me, and Jen, but I need you to explain the triangle or to Andy, please. <laughs> I need to see the face on the screen. So, uh, to make matters worse, I decided that this character would grow up and join the Clone Wars because they hadn't had a Clone Wars series yet. So I was going to write my own Clone Wars novel. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Anyway, so she and Obi-Wan are reunited and they're leading the clones in an attack on a starship. They hit the starship. There's no door on this starship. So they're talking to the bridge commander who tells them, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you there's no visible door on this starship. And Obi-Wan says, that doesn't make sense. Why would you make an invisible door? Because it's a door. And this other Jedi who is in love with him says, oh, no, actually, they wouldn't put a door there because they want to keep invaders out. So it's a trick door. So they use the force to decide, like, to, to like, sense this trick door. And both of them kind of go a little nuts because the door is triangular. Yeah. Oh, and then there's one, but we don't. It's too much. It's already too much. (laughs) Okay, random. Who else? I I, I was thinking about this. Like, I've never really written fan fiction, but no. I I, then again, I started thinking about it. Like in the course of this entire conversation, I have, and actually, I started revisiting it recently, and um. Uh, stories of guardian angels like the idea was the guardian angel of christ who everyone everyone knew that christ was destined to die except for this specific angel whose purpose was to keep him alive to die and you know the kind of more the ramifications of what it would do to that angel afterward when he's like 
Like I, I had one job was to keep him alive just to die. No! Sorry. How messed up <laughs> is that? No! No! It finally happened. Right? What if you used what if you used instead of Jen's no? What if you used like one of the various Star Wars no's? Like if you morphed Luke and Yeah. (laughs) But I did realize in the course of this conversation, when I started tinkering with that story like twenty some odd years ago, I had recently finished reading Anne Rice, Servant of the Bones. Oh, yeah. Which, full transparency, was a lot of inspiration for the story that I started to write. Which, And I do like that book. That is one of her, it's like her one-off book. She wrote it. It was really good. She never revisited that particular character. And But no, it's it kind of made me think. I'm like, okay, yes, I technically have written a form of fan fiction. Um, yeah. Maybe, insp- like, you know, inspired by her fiction but not direct yeah but i could see it like the character i was creating fitting into her world mm-hmm. does this mean he's written bible i've just written straight up fan fiction and you all know this about me at this point wait you want what i just write actual fan fiction i've already told you all about this <laughs> what's your fanfic of choice <sighs> to write or to read to write I current I have not written in a few months. What I've been writing most recently is Newsies fan fiction, which is not a sentence I ever wanted to say out loud on tape, but here we are. <laughs> what I've written the most of is Glee fan fiction, and that yeah. probably explains a lot about me as a person. Clean, right? Oh yes, always. Oh. How I met my best friend. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm on a mission of trying to. Okay, here's There's my big question. Four dollars, I won't mention That's actually kind of cool. If you could, mm-hmm. starting with Grant, <laughs> and we'll we'll roundtable it. But if you could write a fan fiction changing anything from anything that you love, like any current property, what would be like the number one thing? That is a very good question. Um. Oh, I would, I would fix the X Files. Um, like, I, I would go way back to like season yeah. four and fix the main story because there's like the mythology, ep- the myth arc episodes, and then there's the monster of the week episodes, which are my favorite. Mm-hmm. I really don't care about the main story just because it it goes on and on forever and never nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. So I would, I don't know, I probably enter at some point and then, you know, either, either just end it yeah. with a definitive ending or uh, I kind of just go off in my own direction. Ooh, nice, nice. And uh, Besides my obvious desire to write the recent trilogy of Star Wars out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> John Favreau is right there. I, I actually think a lot about the idea of Superman, the Man of Steel, which on one hand, I like a lot of the weird Kryptonian world building, like, okay, the city of Kandor exists, you know, his, his cousin escaped, you know, actually years prior to him leaving Krypton, and that there are other Kryptonians still around. But 
and even though I like many of those characters and those contributions, I also would like to maybe rewrite someday. Let's make him literally the last son of Krypton, the last living soul from the planet Krypton. No one else, no General Zod, no Kara Zor-El. It's just him. And like maybe he even... Maybe he even goes on a little mission. Like, and this is actually, now that I think about it, kind of borrowing a little uh, inspiration from the rot gut movie, Superman Returns, which I still did love. But love he, he goes to visit, maybe he goes to visit, you know, he searches the galaxy, the world over, trying to find something. Yeah. But I, I want him, like, even in, because of the Superman Returns, you can't even say it's completely from there because... Um, it's connected to the Christopher Reeves, the Richard Donner verse of Superman films. And there are established survivors of the planet Krypton in, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot remember their names. Uh, non Zod. And I always forget the woman's name. Um, is it but, Astra? No. <laughs> Sorry. I was going exclusively off what I know from the Supergirl TV show. Right. No, Good shout out though. Um, but no, I think it would be fun to really revisit the idea that he is the last and maybe he would have a, maybe you'd have that little similarity. I totally forgot the characters in your book. He's the last of his kind in your, your short story that you gave to me. Oh, oh my God. I totally forgot. Drell. Oh, cars. Thank you. Oh, wow. I totally forgot. <laughs> You need to finish writing more, but it's it's good. Oh, yay. But yes, the last son thing, I really want to hammer in on that and really make him feel truly alienated. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron! My turn? Yeah. So I'm like, I was thinking about it really heavily, so like if, I did, if it seemed like I wasn't paying attention, I was. But my brain's like, going, what can I change? What can I change? Um... So, two things. Two separate fandoms, so two things. Mm. First of all, one, my girl Sansa Stark in the Game of Thrones series deserves, like, so much better than what she's been given in life. And I would rather, you know... I realize, like, it's focusing on multiple characters at once and everyone gets a little bit of torture in there. But I just feel like her character, like... Yes, she's changed a lot and she's grown, but, like, I feel like... If she'd really grown, she would have really taken King's Landing by storms. And it would have been, like, done and over with way beforehand. Yep. Or she would have escaped a long, long time ago, but instead we just dragged it out and just... We dragged it out for way too long, first of all. Um, Second thing is, if I could... I would rewrite the MCU universe and rewrite Daredevil and the Defenders in, because technically, according to the cinematic universe and the movies, they don't exist in the movies at all. They don't exist. And I would acknowledge them being in the universe and Venom being in there. And like, if we're really going the multiverse style, which is where they're... Thinking of taking three, by the way, fun fact. Well, yeah, but that's because they're doing a movies movie and uh, like they're like filming. They're really going to try. I haven't told you why I was getting food for a costume. Oh, he's already cast, yeah. He, so, he like, can. listen, like, if they we're really going the multiverse style, 
we need to like embrace that and all the other different characters that can be put in there. But yeah, you're definitely a fan fiction reader because you're like, I'm gonna yeah. do all the things. Yeah, I just want all of the things. <laughs> I read way the whole book. As soon as you asked that question, when <laughs> restructure the universe. what can I change? <laughs> what do I want to change? But I like that you change like a macro, a micro thing, and then a macro. Thing. Yeah, I think that's cool. I I I like the defenders in there, and I think like if they had been in the original Spider-Man movie, not the original, but like the current ones in the MCU right now, mm-hmm. it would have changed a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. And I would really would have liked to see them at least a cameo or like at least a mention that they existed in the universe, but because we don't see that. At least can we get like Matt Murdock walking in? No, Mr. Stark, please remain silent, you know, or like, yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe not for Mr. Stark, but you know, for Tony or Peter Parker. Yeah, like, what I would have really liked to see is, like, even just, like, a cameo where he's, like, patrolling or something, and you just see, like, maybe, like, the dare, like daredevil as he's going by through his patrol, or, like, something of that nature where you acknowledge the fact that they're in the universe, but that was a nice sound, but um, <laughs> acknowledging the fact that they were there and they're in the universe, and yeah maybe expanding on that by doing another movie. And I realize technically they're not going to do it because they're too, they're not too kid friendly, but like, I feel like we need to get to that point. It's yeah, there. Yeah, go there with the Disney and their kids. Anyway. <laughs> also, please Netflix, if you're listening, please Netflix gods, revive that series. Yeah. Because I, I loved it way too much and you killed it way too soon. It was arguably the most aesthetically pleasing of the Marvel properties. Yes. Like, I just so good. So good. Jen. Jen, your turn. Okay. I've been pondering this basically the whole time everyone has been talking. <laughs> I don't know if I have because like you say if I could write fan fiction, like I haven't written far <laughs> too much fan fiction in my entire it- life. Do something you haven't done yet. Yes, there are some properties that I just have not touched because I don't think I could do them justice. I don't think I could write something that has the vibe of the original series because I think that is the mark of a very successful fan fiction is if you read it and you can hear that character saying that in your head just like they would on your screen or something, that's how you know you've gotten the fan fiction right and that is a very hard bar to meet actually. But if if I could, I think, I have a couple ideas, but I think what I'm most inclined to do is, and spoiler alert for anybody who has not gotten this far in the Percy Jackson universe yet, mm-hmm. we're going back to the trials of Apollo, and we are not killing Jason Grace in this bar, you guys. <laughs> You know, here I don't know this. what that means, and it's okay. I am here for this. Karen understands me, and I'm glad that she is right there. We are vibing together. <laughs> that was so much trauma that I never thought I was going to feel. But I respect it. Yeah. Respect it. Everyone lives. That's bit like in gen- like in general, so many properties. We're going back, and somebody who died did not die in my take on it. 
So, you know, actually that's the one thing that I am, I've been mulling over and I need to just sit down on fanfiction.net or AO3, whatever, and just do it because I think it would be fun. I really want to see what happens if Jason Todd doesn't go the direction that he does. If Tim Drake still becomes Robin, Damian Wayne still is Bruce Wayne's child because, well, duh. And I want to see what happens when you have all of those Robins in the room at their respective ages, from Dick Grayson all the way down. You know, you have all four of them there in their various states. Um, and you cut Batman out. Like, you put him on retirement. Like, you literally, like, because you have those four, they split up Gotham City Ooh. in some kind of way and do it Ooh. their style, and Bruce goes on vacation with Alfred. Kind of sounds interesting. Does like that to sound interesting? I'd like to that. Yeah, I would like to see that too. Darn, I hate myself. Why can't like why can why why does Alfred have to go on vacation with Bruce? Like why can't he go to like ancestral home in England or something? I'm. Why wouldn't that be the vacation? Because then he still has to be butlering on his vacation. But Alfred enjoys butlering. That's why he's butlering and not in the Secret Service. Is that actually explained somewhere? Because I have never read a Batman comic in my life. Yeah, no, he was one in the he was one in the British. Yeah. Well, not the Secret Service. What was the MI whatever? No, no. Does, is, is it, it explained that? Like, okay, sorry. Is it he? Like, right? Am I wrong? I mean, I could be wrong about this, but like the, the impression that I get of Alfred is that he's been he was in the British royal whatever yeah. army, MI, and then he butlers for the Waynes. The only way that he would butler for an American family from their time period. Um, would, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, there's a way to make it work to where he's either willing to do it or he does it because he's been butler, you know, he was a butler and then the war interrupted his life. Like, there's a way you could spend it either way. But, like, I always got the impression that Alfred took it as his duty, but also it became a, a pleasurable duty because of... Okay, but like you like your job, and yet you still want an actual vacation at some point. No, I know, but like, but like, I get it. But like, Alfred and Bruce on vacation is the best way. I can't. Bruce can't be without Alfred. Okay, but Alfred has to also like they have to go to some kind of all-inclusive resort where Alfred doesn't actually have to work on his own vacation. Is what I'm saying. But I. I but. I just, oh, you know what? Actually, if I took you to Disney World and said, no, you have to stay inside the hotel and read library journal all day, is that actually a vacation for you? So I have an idea. What if you just reverse engineer the roles here? Because if Bruce is old enough to take a vacation because all of his sons have grown up, Alfred is definitely in his 90s. So put him in a nursing home. <laughs> and or maybe not a nursing home, but put him somewhere in a state of uh, you know unwellness. Dude, and Bruce has to take care of him the way that oh, Alfred wants okay. to take care of. Him. Okay. So Bruce becomes okay. a caregiver while his sons take care of Gotham. You would be really funny if like first so I love Alfred. Don't be wrong, but let's just say Alfred's not okay. there. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, just, just bear with me for a minute. Andy's dying. <laughs> Let's just bear with me. So we still have that aspect of the four, four kiddos kind of working together. I call them kiddos, but we all know who I'm talking about. I mean, Damien's a kiddo. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yes, no, I know. In terms of Batman, they're his kiddos. kiddos. You know, I know this. <laughs> So let's just say that. <laughs> Carry on. I just figured out how it's gonna start. Go on. Oh no! So like Alfred's not there, but like Batman retires or takes like a vacation, and they're in charge of like taking care of the city while he's not there. Mm-hmm. And like, let's just say like Alfred is in the nursing home, or like let's say that like he's still there with the kids. Yeah. Every single time they come home, he goes, so what'd you do today? Because he's trying to keep them in line. <laughs> oh, my God. Just imagine Bruce Wayne trying to parent his kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you all might be in luck. Chapter one, A Grace and Wedding, may be coming to you very soon. I will get you an AO3 account myself if this is what it takes. Listen, you realize that Barbara Gordon is like everything everything to me. So Barbara Grayson is going to be even more so everything to me. I was about to ask. I was like, please tell me we're getting Barbara Gordon as of Barbara course. Grayson. Dick Grayson marries one lady and that's Barb. Barbara yes. Gordon marries one man and that's Dick. Yes. Period. It doesn't go anywhere else. Yes. Sorry, this is what fan fiction does to people, Andy, in case you were wrong to figure. And it's beautiful. I think I'm still kind of disgusted at the idea of like Bruce Wayne taking, you know, cleaning up and aging Alfred. I mean, I had that visual. Oh, I love it so much. Can you imagine the snark? Yes. Can you imagine the snark? Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's why I imagined it in the first place. I love it so much. Like Bruce actually having to like figure out how Alfred can appear and disappear at <laughs> Alfred, massive how parts of the <laughs> How does he do this job? I don't know. You just get this shot of like this panned out <laughs> shot of Bruce and all of his footsteps <laughs> I think we need this. I, like, I actually, we need this. Oh, this is oh, this is fine. It's can it be drawn in the aesthetic of the 1960s Batman series? I mean, very campy. Yes. I suppose. I just have to figure. I think Tim Drake. I think Tim Drake's the gay one. No, Jason Todd's the gay one. He would be. Yeah. But Tim Drake has established girlfriends in the comics too. So. <laughs> Tim Drake can be bi. Don't tempt oh. me. Well, he can be bi. I just wanted to, like, uh, you know, say that he's. No, that's fair. I think I, I really think. I okay. Think the fun part of fan fiction is that everything's made up and the points don't matter. You can take the parts Listen. of canon that you like, throw away the rest, and it's, you call it a day. Just like the idea of the ancestral Raylo phenomenon. Oh, I almost joked on my drink. Please don't. Raylo, I can't. See, there's there's there is a place See, if we get to where they should have not yeah. been reading fan fiction. It's very clear they were reading <coughs> Raylo fan fiction, and they totally took us there, and I'm not happy about it. Listen, if we're gonna start talking about Raylo, I'm gonna literally just walk up and leave the room. I'll end the meeting. 
This is coming from a Kylo Ren fan. I know you can hate me later. It's fine. And everyone went quiet. <laughs> what do we say in response to that? What is the correct development? No one else gets character development. No one else has a challenge. Well, true. They do, but their challenges are stupid. Yeah. Ray doesn't have any challenges. She's kind of magically good at it. Well, but see, here's the, okay. All right. You know what? That, that's a, we're kind of also true. running out of time. You're right. It's true. But all I'm going to say, all I'm going to say is after three seasons of Star Trek Discovery, they have somehow figured out how to make Michael Burnham win at everything. She is good at everything. And I still love her. Like every time she succeeds, I'm like, of course she did. Cause she's a bad. Ed. Yeah. Anyway, I love her. I did not feel that with Ray because they didn't earn it. They didn't put her through enough. Michael goes through everything. And she's still, which is why we love Michael Burnham. So anyway. this is why the next episode should just be Star Wars. Exactly. Oh. Actually, if you look on the, if you look on the, the attentive calendar of episodes, May the 4th. <laughs> oh my God. So I love that you probably just gave Jen like, the best thing in the world because you just said the words, if you look on the calendar. I love it. Which I really feel that should be, I mean, it has so many significance. So many Star Wars movies have been released in May historically. I mean, May the 4th as all, you know, too. Um, it's oh god! It's gonna be it's gonna be good. We, we, which I feel like, Jen, we need to talk more about the potential free comic book day. Yes. Planning, and that could even tie into Rad Raptor Comics, bringing them on board with a podcast. I've mentioned it before, and I jokingly I'm calling it Radcon or RaptorCon in my mind. If we can use the space in the library for a little mini comic convention. Yeah, well, first let's cure COVID, and then we'll start worrying about something like that. But let's all take our vaccines first, right? Yeah, COVID willing. Yes. COVID Soon. willing. Soon. Yeah, I have reservations, but that's just because I'm black. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I know. I will Michael Chabon later. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Don't worry about it. Michael Chabon. Michael Che bit from SNL. Oh, wait, really? There's yes. such a person. Okay, never mind. I'm done. <laughs> oh, okay, really quick. And this is a kind of a segue to something we should have done near the beginning of the episode. Yes, introduce ourselves, possibly? Well, introduce ourselves, but what are we reading? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points of the fan fiction. Yeah, Andy, what are you reading? <laughs> Uh-oh, this is going to be scary. I have been tearing through the Saga of the Swamp Thing books. I'm pretty loud about it. Written by Alan Moore, messed up individual that he is in real life. The man is a Rembrandt when it comes to writing a comic book story. I mean, he's just yeah. otherworldly. He's... Like, I mean, he's one of those authors that I would compare to, like, Neil Gaiman, Ray Bradbury. He's just phenomenal as a writer. Neil Gaiman, get out of here. 
Uh, he did, yeah. But no, he. So Saga of the Swamp thing, and I did recently finish The Magician's Land, which I know you laughed at my comment the other day, Jen, when I posted it online. I might even give it two stars, but mostly I was, it was the best of the series to me. Listen, the fact just, that you can even get past book one in that series is already impressive. Did you just say it was the best of the series for me, but I might give it two stars? I, there's one scene in there in which the a character comes back to life, so to speak, and she goes off on the protagonist. She just tears him in a new one, just relentless, maliciously it breaks him down. And I'm like, we needed it. We needed it. Yes. I, I mean, I wish this was a video. We could record uh, Jen and I celebrating. We hated that character. Why did I keep reading the trilogy? I don't know. Anyways, I'm glad to be done with that. I have another <laughs> Saga of the Swamp Thing book to read. I'm loving it. Five stars. I'm not even done yet. Oh, oh I love it. Jen, what are you reading? I am currently living my best life reading Little Beach Street Bakery by Jenny Colgan because I just love some cozy English women's fiction to get through this bleak, bleak winter. Fan fiction-wise, I will admit, again, here on tape, a sentence I didn't want to say out loud, <laughs> I'm reading so much called the Midwife fan fiction, you guys. <gasps> I love it. Ooh, Downton Abbey. Never mind. Really? I love yeah. that. I love, oh. Because I just, I really love Patrick and Sheila. And I want more of them. And I'm not getting any more of the TV show until Christmas Day at the earliest. I'm rewatching the whole series. I'm in too deep. Will I write it? Question mark. Somebody give me an idea in the comments and we'll see what happens. Anthony, what are you reading? Save me from myself. So, <laughs> I am actually reading two things because I am that person. Um, I am reading Charmed Life by Diana Wynne Jones. It's the first of the Crestomancy books. It's, I'm halfway through it. It's really good. I am convinced that, because it was published in 1977, I'm convinced that J.K. Rowling, at a lovely 12 years old, ingested this book, hated it, and never read the rest of them. Maybe not even hated it. I don't think she had any particular strong opinions about it as a 12-year-old. Completely forgot it, and then it came back up when she was 25 in the shoot <laughs> as Harry Potter, because the similarities are disgustingly similar. Um, that They took different directions in terms of narrative choices, um, and so that's fine. It, they're not copycats, but you can't read Crestomancy having read Harry Potter and go, oh yeah, these things are not like each other at all. Like the tone is the same. The way that they use magic in England is the same. Like it's interesting, but I'm enjoying it so far. I'm, there are a few questions in my mind that I want answered hopefully by the end of this book. But anyway, I enjoy it. Um, and then I'm reading an essay collection by Samuel R. Delaney called About Writing because that's who I am as a person. I'm stuck in the introduction because that's who he is as a writer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> it's very verbose, <laughs> but brilliant. Great. Oh. <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> I just finished uh, reading um, Heretics of Dune. Um, oh, yeah. And honestly, it was a very challenging book for me to get through. 
Now, is that book six? That is book five. Five. Oh, five. Yeah, so there's one, one, there's one left, Chapter House Student. Okay. Um, and and, and, and it, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I liked it. And I, res- I respect how well it was made. It's, it, it felt like it was very intricately written and plotted out. Um, but I don't know. It was, uh, it was kind of a struggle. Um, so I'm hoping Chapter House is uh, kind of a return to form, but we'll see. Um, and then probably tonight I'm going to start reading Galveston by Nick Pizzolato, I think is how you pronounce his name. Oh, He wrote the first season of True Detective, which is one of my favorite things ever. So hopefully this is in the same vein as that. Um, then after that, I'm going to read uh, some of Criminal, the graphic, uh, the, the comic series, which was recommended to me by Megan. Who's a clerk here? Ooh. Classic Megan. Uh, that makes sense. You and Megan would have overlap in some areas that that makes that makes me happy. I love it. Karen. Oh, oh okay. So uh, I'm just getting restarted. Jen knows exactly what book this is when I mention it. So I'm reading Hope Never Dies. Good. <laughs> Good. So, Biden Obama book. Speaking of fanfiction. <laughs> Speaking of fanfiction. <laughs> All right. So for people who don't know what this is, it is a book written by uh, Andrew Schaffer. And it is about, um, it's after the 2016 election. <laughs> Biden and Obama are no longer in the White House. And they're just kind of being themselves. And Joe Biden's favorite Amtrak conductor dies in a suspicious accident. And Joe Biden's like, well, we need to figure this out. And so he calls up his old buddy, Obama. (laughs) And they go figure out who killed this conductor. (laughs) Adding it to my to-read list now. Oh, please know that if there aren't enough real people solving mysteries in your lives, I do have a book in the cart, I think, for January. That's about the queen solving a murder. No. Oh, please also yeah. yeah. Please also note that Hope Never Dies also has a sequel called Hope Rides Again. There's a sequel to the Obama book and the Biden book. Um, fan fiction wise, because you know I'm reading an actual book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'm currently reading, and I can't remember the title off the top of my head right now. And I don't feel like pulling it up, so that's fine. Um, so it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe um, thing, and it's Peter Parker having to go through all the different multiverses, and he has to try to get back to his own, like, Earth universe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and every single one is a different outcome of Thanos from Infinity War, and he has to fix something in every single world for him to actually get to the next one to get back home. On his own? No. Meanwhile, he has like this is this is Tom Holland Peter Parker, so this is like MCU Peter Parker. We have Tony Stark who's on the other side of the line, like trying to figure out a way to reach Peter. And so both of them are trying to like meet each other in the middle. And they are literally like there's moments where they'll meet each other for like two seconds. And then they switch off into completely separate universes and they have to f- rearrange their way to get back to each other. And it's interesting. And they touch on Into the Spider-Verse is in there and like all the different like versions. Spider-Man of- 3, please come home. Yes, actually. <laughs> 
so like all the different versions are in there and so it's very, really interesting to read that I'm, I'm seeing the inception of a awful fanfic of Lolita inspired Mr. Stark no. <laughs> no. no I'm done <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. Are you saying Stark Stark goes on a, <laughs> a mad adventure? I can't. I can't even finish that sentence. That was truly a cursed thought that you put out into the universe. Why would you do this to us? I'm waiting for like a 5 a.m. text message from Anthony, so I'm writing that awful idea. <laughs> Somebody that's not already on the internet somewhere. There's some weird fan fiction out there on the internet. Aaron and I have read it. Yes. I, I'm going to stick to A Grace and Wedding as told from the perspective of Damian Wayne, who is not exactly happy about any of it. Thank you very much. Because he's been given the task to babysit Alfred for the day. <laughs> I just mentioned those first thoughts again, and you might hear the door slam. <laughs> Oh, this is fun. I have, I have one more thing, and this is something actually that we should have done so much earlier. What AO3? What are other yeah. sources of fan fiction? Like None really? Good. Yeah. What other quality sources no, no. of fan fiction? Your option is AO3. That's it. Your is AO3. Don't go elsewhere. It's not worth it. So, like for quality fan fiction, and I. I think Jen might agree with me on this, so I hope that's okay. Um, so, in your tiers of fan fiction, Wattpad is at the very bottom. It is accessible. We don't touch it. It doesn't exist. As much as we get a lot of memes that come from there, literally do not touch Wattpad with 10-foot pole. Yes, but what if I wanted to... Um, it's bad. Don't do it. Right no. about no. Um, no. Zane. No. As you can a, still put that on AO3. But, but I can't get it published if I file off the serial numbers and just don't do it. Yes, you can. Just, um, there's plenty of fan fictions I've read that started on AO3 that have been published. Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. Well, is where the agents might go looking first, but that doesn't mean they're finding anything good. I mean, they found after. Have you guys read this one? I didn't. They still didn't find anything good. (laughs) Okay, so after Wattpad, then depending on how you look at things, uh, fanfic.net and Fiction Press are kind of like... Oh, gee! Oh, sorry. Like, switcheroo. Like, it depends on what you're reading on each one. Yeah, I mean, like, they're, like, tied. That's, like, the same level. Um, AO3 is at the top of the tier because there's definitely a lot of different search abilities. You're able to, if you have some type of trigger, you're able to work around that. Oh, that's cool. Um, if you have some type of specific storyline you're looking for, you can search upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say live journal, are- not as good as AO3, but depending on like the age of the fan fiction that you're looking for, live journal is definitely above fanfic.net, below AO3. It's like one of the OG like websites you would go to, mm-hmm. and before Yahoo purchased it, Tumblr was pretty good at at like fan fictions depending wow. on what you were reading. Yeah, it's really hard to navigate website yeah. wise, mobile app wise. Very easy That's to publish. They're terrible to actually find anything. Yeah. yeah, don't recommend reading them unless you really want to sit through and try to navigate through those websites. But like they used to have really good ones, and then 
Yahoo purchased Tumblr and then they purged a lot of things from Tumblr. And so therefore a lot of the really quality things that you might have read now don't exist anymore. And there may also be like specialty websites for your fandom of choice. Spoiler, N.K. Jemison, Hugo Award-winning N.K. Jemison, record-breaking N.K. Jemison, the author of the Broken Earth trilogy, I could go on forever. The point is, not only does she encourage fan fiction, she herself has an AO3 account. Yes. Has posted about it and boasted yes, about it. there are a few authors that do. Yeah, so I think she's a good seminar, Not a seminar, but like a writing like course that she teaches that like, she takes the tools of fan fiction and shows you how you can use that to do your have, own. Have any authors admittedly, have any of any authors ever admitted to writing under a pseudonym within a fan fiction site to kind of get feedback based on some ideas for their actual bodies of work? Not that I know of. Not that I, there are plenty of authors that have admitted to writing fan fiction that admit to still like lurking on the websites today. Not a lot of them do admit who they are, especially in the sense of a lot of authors who write sort of popular fandoms. I'm thinking of like Rainbow Rowell, who wrote Fangirl and the Simon Snow series. She fully admits to, that she reads her own like fan fiction to this day, but she won't read anything Simon Snow related, anything that she has written, because then you run into some really interesting copyright issues of like, if you accidentally read fan fiction of your own work and then incorporate something from there, can that person then sue you for yeah, there's a lot. Like, like that so like plenty of authors admit to reading and writing fan fiction but they don't really put their handles out there i think to keep that separation for both legal reasons and also just because like it is fun to have that more anonymous place where nobody knows that you're award-winning author whoever whoever this is the thing that you do for fun you won't get that kind of like constructive criticism feedback theoretically, if people don't know who you are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I'll probably, I think we can probably bring it to a close in a second, but I'm, I'm also going to hop on there. I, I found a little bit of fanfic. I think I'm going to read in, a, in the next few minutes. Uh, My Immortal. Yeah! Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, will not come back to episode eight. You spared me from reading a paragraph of my 12-year-old prose. <laughs> oh, I'll send it to you, Grant. It's going to be great. We can... No, I, I've read it before. Wait, what? Yeah. My Immortal? Yeah. It's, it, it's one of those infamous it's, internet yeah, things. So it is an... I, yeah, I, I've read it. I'm too old for this conversation. For context, yeah, just because you two don't go on the internet like the rest of us youngins. Mm. For context, dear internet listeners, it is a very famous, very famous Harry Potter Famously fan. bad. Yes, famously bad. Um, <laughs> once upon a time, one young Aaron, who was just getting out of school, was uh, stayed the night at her friend's house and read every single chapter, 44 chapters, Oof. in a completely straight tone with a straight face and did a dramatic reading of this whole thing. And it's harder than you think it is once you finally get reading to it. Oh, you know what I'll do? Oh, no. I'm going to go home and record. Um, borrowing this microphone, actually. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go home and record some of my Star Wars fan fiction. <gasps> yes! And 
and Andy, we can you can decide what you're going to do with that, how you're going to disseminate that. Do it. I'm going to do it because. <laughs> well, that was in my best Palpatine. You know, if I can get through it without, you know, okay, all right. So I'll give you three. C. I'll give you guys three choices in what you want. Do you want a Clone Wars scene? Do you want the <laughs> Pearl Harbor Jedi Temple yes. scene? Yes. <laughs> that one. <laughs> that one? Okay. <laughs> or do you want Darsha's Obi-Wan, I think I love you, confessions? <laughs> well, that obviously, yes. But that the, the Pearl Harbor Jedi Temple... Okay, all right. For all Harvard Jedi Temple scene it is. Oh, dear God. Read me my immortal. <laughs> I think you should rehash that uh, and somehow get Robu. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there right now is ready.